Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney over there, Steve. Hey. And today we are talking Green Arrow, Green Lantern, uh, Hard Traveling Heroes, an 11 issue run by legendary team of Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. Yeah, so recently uh, Denny O'Neill passed away. And as he is, um, in my humble opinion, one of the greatest uh, writers that ever graced DC's comic books, uh, we're going to pause from our nonstop Envy Media and, <laughs> and take a few minutes to talk about his legacy. That's right. And it is a, it's one hell of a legacy. He basically reinvented three characters for DC. Uh, most notably, uh, Batman in his seminal run uh, put the gothic uh, mystery back into the Batman series. Uh, whereupon, yeah, he he erased a lot of the the sins of the fifties and the sixties, the sins of the CCA. Yeah, and 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 while still maintaining um, the comics code brought Batman into a, more of a, uh, a less goofy, uh, less campy, less sci-fi area and, and made it into solid detective um, action stories again. Yep. Invented uh, the character and, uh, of Rachel Ghoul for that. For I was going to say, no Neil, no, no Neil, no Rache. Mm -hmm. And according to Denny O'Neill. No Damien. That's right. No Batman no Batman Begins, probably no Frank Miller. Curse you, Denny O'Neill. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but that's for another time because he also reinvented and made one of my favorite superheroes um, cool again mm -hmm. <laughs> instead of campy. And that, of course, is Ambush Bug. <laughs> yes, Ambush Bug. Was Ambush Bug even around? Um, At that point, shoot, I don't remember. Ambush Bug is such an oddity for DC that you know I I, I never know who when that motherfucker turns up. That's, uh, he just ambushes. Yeah, he just amb it's like ah, ambush bug. You're like ah, get away. <laughs> but no, we're no, talking wrong a, guy, red color. Yeah, uh, this is of course. I don't know which one you're talking about because. There are two heroes in this book. And they're both green. And they're both green-themed. Um, he did reinvent Green Arrow for this book, made him into uh, the bearded leftist social justice superhero uh, that later made his way into being like the one of the primary characters of Justice League Unlimited. That was O'Neill's interpretation of Green Arrow that we saw. Yeah, uh, and, I'm not talking about Green Arrow. All right, then let's talk about Hal Jordan. Hal Jordan, who, if you read those early 60s Green Lantern stories, they are cookie cutter with everything else that DC was putting out. DC was churning out these campy space stories. And uh, Green Lantern was perfect for them because he was a space cop. Mm -hmm. um, Danny O'Neill takes cheesy space cop and turns him into a, a, a character that has inner conflict, turmoil, 
and uh, and actually has a character arc, which I don't think Green Lantern ever had before. Right, and it, you could be argued that like maybe even like DC characters prior to this mm. didn't have character arcs; they just kind of went on and did their thing. Um, yeah, and he took a little bit of what was going. Yeah, he took a, a little bit of what was going on at Marvel and not only brought it into DC, but perfected it so it was, like, sophisticated. Mostly. And and it, as soon as I read, well, sophisticated compared to what was going on across the street. Right. Because this was the time um, when Marvel and DC had offices directly across the street from me. Yeah. Uh, you know, Marvel had like these soap operas going on with their characters who famously had problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, their problems were kind of, uh, they were weak problems. Let's face it. Yeah. Maybe some heady issues, but they were handled. Um, well, just, frankly, because Stan Lee uh, didn't write a lot of it, just kind of plotted it and left the writing up to the overworked artists. <laughs> so right, he, he would he would got plot it. Like, yeah, he would plot it. Then uh, Kirby and Ditko would draw it, and then he'd come in and go, "Okay, uh, yeah, this is what he's saying in that scene, and this is what he's saying in the next right. panel." So, so yeah, so Spider Man's problems are he's he's a nerd until he wasn't, you know? Right. <laughs> and and you know we, when you're juggling seven books and you're like half ass writing all of them. That's what you're going to get, and it, it worked, and it was it was good stuff. But this was more sophisticated. This was a dedicated writer who has a had a background as a uh, crime reporter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up the crime reporter background because O'Neill's narration boxes do have that um, journalist uh, writing style of that period where. You know, you would write a feature article or or front page, and the reporter would always like in, interject something that was almost literary in scope to this story about corruption at City Hall or something like that. Now, I said they were sophisticated, but I'm not saying they're perfect because Definitely not. I'm just rereading this. Rereading this um, picked up this series in at least 15 years. Mm-hmm. To actually sit down and read it end to end. You know, it's referenced and I know what's going on in it, but you know, it's different when you sit down and read it. And it, it definitely has some major uh just point of view flaws, I guess. Yeah. That picking this series up now, uh there's a lot of things going on in this present moment as of this recording that still ring true through the arc of this series of this run there's some, some yeah, similar mean, themes the, going on yeah i don't think any of the issues that this uh series tackles the serious issues mm-hmm. that the series tackles have gone away um but i do think that um our as semi our um way of handling these things are our the information we have um, and the way we process this information is a lifetime different from um, what you'll find in the pages of these books. Um, so 
Without further ado, why don't you tell us the premise of this series? Setup is Green Lantern flying around, doing his space cop thing on planet Earth, and he sees a, a dude getting attacked by another guy. So he swoops in and is like, Ha, I'm Green Lantern. Meet the mighty power ring of justice, you foul criminal scum. Ties up the guy, turns out that the dude he just rescued is like a slumlord, and the guy that was attacking him uh, was pissed off because he's trying to evict the whole building because he can make more money as a parking lot. You know, the the people in, in the building start throwing cans of beans and stuff at Al Jordan's head, and lo and behold, Green Arrow shows up and says, Buddy, you got a problem, and I should be throwing cans of beans at you myself. Which begins this, this arc of, you know... Telling uh, of Arrow telling Lantern that you know he's been out in space so long doing space cop stuff that he's not only ignoring stuff that's happening right now in on Earth, but that his perspective has like been completely skewed. That he's looking at things in terms of black and white rather than the fluid shades of gray that the real world is. And Green Arrow himself seems a little bit disillusioned uh, by the events happening in the world. This is a series that was written in 1970. Um, and so he proposes, after they take down the Slumlord, he proposes that uh, he goes on a road trip with Hal to kind of find the heart of America. Like uh, It's like a space cop and a, and a hippie archer team up with an alien to recreate on the road of sorts. Um, and, and so and they are Green, joined. Green Arrow's sidekick is William S. Burroughs. Right. And and they're joined by one of the guardians of the universe and, and Owen, uh, who also yes. feels that it's important to observe and understand humanity uh, instead of looking at the actions of Green Lantern and looking at what's going on on Earth from their lofty perch so many light years away. Right. So basically this is a transition from what DC has done before. Like we said, DC was very telling these, these stories, these boring monster of the week stories um, where they weren't even really allowed to, to fight real criminals, the comics code. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you had these like, frankly, boring stories about space tyrants and um, plots to, to take over the world, the earth by aliens and, you know, just crap like that. Yeah. Um, across the board in a lot of their comics. Um, and even when um, it started getting back down in the sixties to a uh, regular, like more comic book, superhero -y stories, it was still, um, you just had this sense of fantasy about it. Mm -hmm. And this series served to, to kind of make comics into something that were relevant. You had an, a chance to actually uh, talk about some of the, quote, ills that are plaguing the nation. Um, you know, the, rip, it, it's a rip from today's headlines kind of affair. Right, right. Um, so, so, yeah, so um, Green Lantern gets taken to task. Uh, for looking, you know, leaping before he looks, mm -hmm. and um, 
and and thinking like a cop, more or less. Right, right. Sounds kind of familiar. Um, and he's basically told in no uncertain terms that he's a racist. Oh yeah, yeah. That was just, that was <laughs> that was kind of you know that was like the first issue of that run. You know, is in, in Green Lantern gets called out. It's like you help the the blue. You work for the blue skin men. You've helped the green skin men. You know, I heard about what you did for the purple skin man, but what about the black skin man? What have you done for for him? And and so, you know. and un, unlike somebody being called a racist today, uh, he actually decides to listen mm-hmm. and uh, examine his life. Um, so he and uh, Green Arrow go to take a look at America and and kind of like find their place in it, really. The the whole series so really that's the, is a the hard traveling. Yeah, the the whole series is a meditation on the idea of what is justice, you know, and what is what is the role of someone like a Green Lantern, who is supposed to be this force of justice, you know, in the entire right. universe. Uh, now, now, a side note: uh, technically, all these. Though the the byline was Green Lantern, Green Arrow, they were technically numbered from Green Lantern's book. Right. And once this particular arc stopped, it continued being numbered back to Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. So, just just so you know, right. You know, in full disclosure, this is te- technically it's a Green Lantern book. Right. Um, I think they, they do a really good job of giving um, both characters footing equal footing and they don't make either one absolutely wrong all the time or right all the time right um so they they they, they it's not like just oh it's lefty bullshit they take oliver to task just as much as they take um hal to task and 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 now i i, I, I was just gonna say i do think that uh how that denny o'neill um, lean to the left himself, so I think it definitely has um, a more liberal perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Even well, when it's being critical of the left, mm-hmm. Green it's, it's Green Arrow left. was definitely yeah. Green Arrow was definitely uh, O'Neill's mouthpiece. Um, he you know he talked about himself proposing the series in a in a short documentary um, where you know he talks about going into Julie Schwartz. You know, Jules, old-time editor-type guy, wears suits to work, and he's coming in there with his longish hair and tie-dyes and stuff like that. So, yeah, O'Neill was kind of that probably borderline counterculture leftist uh, type of type of person, and Green Arrow definitely was his mouthpiece uh, throughout the book. So it also makes it a little interesting when Green Arrow is taken to task uh, for some of his stuff, because he's definitely a reactionary type figure, and I think he's—I think that's really where uh, when Green Arrow fucks up and his point of view is is taken uh, into criticism is because of this kind of impulsive nature, where he he thinks uh, violence and revolution is his first thought. It's like down with the man from from the jump. Yeah, but actually a lot of the criticism of Green Arrow, I think, is more subtextual um, in the fact that he is 
kind of a raging sexist asshole. That too. <laughs> he is. Um, <laughs> we we see that because uh, you know Black Canary appears later in this book, and she she kind of forms this like street level trinity in this book with with Lantern, Arrow, and Black Canary, and she she definitely takes him to yes. task a lot. For, for his uh, sexist piggishness. Yes. So, I don't know if that means that Danny O'Neill was getting gruff at home because he was a sexist pig, or if, uh, you know, it, it just, they were giving, putting too much onus on uh, Hal Jordan to be the heavy. Right. So they had to give, give Ollie um, something to do <laughs> so he wouldn't be, you know, completely the white knight all the time. Right. Um, well, I mean, which... when you're when you're talking about um, the main one of the main themes of the book of the gray area uh, of what you know justice actually looks like, you know, you they they are. It is kind of that um, you know he accuses Hal of looking at everything in black and white, but Oliver also looks at things in certain black and white, and rushes to it and he has these outdated beliefs himself um that he has to face as well so yeah it's like you know he sets out on this this road trip to to learn about the heart of america to learn about himself his place as much as it is to teach green lantern about what his place it's almost like he kind of uses it as an excuse but he's a he's self-aware that he needs to learn a few lessons himself. Right. Now, how do you think they handled these issues? Because uh, so, they, they tackled some pretty heavy things. Um, you know, they, they, they looked into uh, fascism, you know, the populist movements and corporations taking over um, populations, I guess. Yep. Uh, they, uh, they, they looked into the r- racism, uh, population explosions, mm-hmm. uh, dwindling resources, uh, uh, the actual the, uh, corruption of the justice system itself. Uh, yeah, the the, um, the the susceptibility of people to propaganda. <laughs> yep. There were there were a lot uh, of they, things. Uh, drug on. drug addiction. That is the big one. Yeah, that's like the most famous. Heroin was of the big arc. one. That's what it's known for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's there's a two part. Uh, story called Snowbirds Can't Fly. We find out that Speedy, spoiler alert, that uh, Speedy, Green Arrow's ward and sidekick, uh, is a junkie. Right. And Ollie does not handle it very well. No. He, he, he does not. He, he does not. And, you know, that's probably... I mean, it's really hard to say because the there's a certain amount of you know, going back to kind of the sexism of it, there's a certain amount of machismo throughout the entire run. It's like, yeah, we're looking at this, all of these issues. We're looking at racism. We're looking at the treatment of Native Americans. We're looking at uh, ideas of overpopulation and the corruption of justice. But it's, yeah, it's this, but there's this like macho thing going on the whole time. And it's like, on the one well, hand, it, you're like, it is a yeah, superhero comic. right, and it kind of, but it, it kind of colors over. It. And when we get to, well, and I know that this is a podcast, but uh, 
the cover of the collected edition is basically them fighting with each other. Yep. Because superheroes solve problems with their fists. Right. And and that's how a lot of these issues are either solved or attempted to be solved is with <clears throat> with their fists. That's the right. hard part of the hard traveling heroes. Right. Right. But um, you know, in 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 such a way that kind of like you know, punch your way out of the problem becomes, it kind of starts glossing over, it puts it like a sheen over all the other issues it's talking about because it's like okay, we've talked enough about you know the oppression of the poor, let's have some fisticuffs. Now let's go beat up the landlord. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying, and I'm not saying and- that that's not that's not satisfying. You no, know. because who hasn't wanted to beat up their landlord? Right. Um, but, but yeah, um, it's superhero story. So you and it's a superhero story from 1970. We hadn't quite gotten to Watchmen yet, or the things where you have deeper stories being told, where the violence is actually in the background and the story um, becomes more important. This is the beginnings of that. But we're not quite there yet. So yeah, they 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 fight, right? And and it works in some some of these stories. It works. Um, there is a couple where it's just kind of uh, like somebody clawing a chalkboard, so out of touch with the message that they're trying to portray. Uh, issue eighty nine. Perhaps, yeah. Issue eighty nine. Um, for those of you who follow me on Facebook, like both of you, I did post the cover of that, <laughs> <laughs> and it is yeah, it's pretty pretty horrible. Actually. Yeah, yeah, insensitive so it, really it is, isn't um, the word. It's actually it's 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 seventy nine. Oh, it's 79. Not 89. 89 is outside of this run. Right. Uh, so 79 has a picture of Hal Jordan in full Green Lantern regalia uh, tied to a, uh, a totem pole, because uh, they are in the Pacific Northwest. So tied to a totem pole like Jesus Christ with Ollie, also in, in uniform, uh, Pointing an arrow at him, wearing a uh, some sort of Indian uh, war headdress, right? <laughs> Saying, um, "It's really tiny here." My redskin brothers find you guilty, and I am your executioner. Right. So, well, yeah. the The funny thing <laughs> is, is that is definitely a very insensitive cover. But it's also one of those famous DC covers that's on the book to sell the book, but it doesn't really happen go down that way inside. No, what, it's even worse. It's even worse. <laughs> what we have what we have in, in issue seventy nine is that Oliver and 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 Hal stumble across this this plot um, by some corporate fuckheads to basically steal a, land a rights. Company. Yeah, a logging company to steal the land rights away from the local local native tribe uh, who has ne- negotiated this from way back in the the days where the United States government first had contact 
with the tribes of the Pacific Northwest. Now, Hal goes off to try to find the legal solution because, you know, he's a test pilot. You know, he knows people in Washington and stuff like that. Well, and, he was also an insurance investigator. Yes. And, and so he, goes, he actually knows how to this is what he knows how to do. Right. Right. He's, <laughs> and he's a space paperwork. cop. He a space cop would know how to do this. So, which is, you know, kind of the solution you would expect to happen, you know, in reality. Obviously, he wouldn't be a space cop doing it, but, you know, you'd have like some DA, assistant DA would be going in and doing the legwork. Or, uh, right. Yeah, I guess it would, the DA would be on the other side. Um, but you know what I mean, right? Some assistant def- uh, defense attorney, right? Or or somebody who a private investigator with an activist group or something like that, right? You'd have somebody doing this investigation, right? Um, Oliver, on the other hand, hatches a fucking not that he was asked, not right. He does not it that on he was his own. Asked to do this, right. The, right? That's important, right? Basically, he's going off to yes, find and, a and copy, then Oliver. right? Hal is going off to find a copy of the actual uh, contract that states that the tribe has 100% logging rights to this area. Oliver, on the other hand, hatches... Right, he's going to his travel. Yeah. yeah. Oliver, on the other hand, hatches a fucking Scooby-Doo plot to scare the logging he company away. He goes full-on painted lady. He goes full-on painted lady. He's fucking Katara. <laughs> <laughs> he's... He's going to clean it up, despite what everybody tells him not to do. He does it anyway. Right. The the <laughs> chief that signed this treaty was a big source of inspiration, and he thinks that if the, the people of this tribe were to be inspired by that figure again, would would come to their senses and, be, and fight back. Because he doesn't believe that there is a yes. copy... That that's all been taken care of, destroyed, and even if they had it, it wouldn't matter. These guys would just like throw money and their weight around. So he dons a costume right, so. to pretend to be the ghost of this chief. <laughs> yeah, he's not wrong in in like thinking that they're gonna throw money around and the tribe is gonna probably lose their rights anyway, despite Hal's best efforts. But he changes his name from Green Arrow to White Arrow real fucking quick. Yep. Green Arrow to White Savior real fast. Yeah. He, once again, without being asked, he takes it upon himself to go red face. More or less, he puts on red face and um, go, pretends to be the spirit of the this elder statesman of the and it does work to it to an extent even after he's it, unmasked you know he's like yeah well you know, it works in so far as he gets the mining company um is wary of him but i don't think that his intended um savies the the indians themselves the native americans themselves they don't want him to do this. They're right. like horrified. Well, that he would do this. Right? They're 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 and horrified. You can't, and you can't blame them. No, no, you can't. But they have the they. You know, of course. You know, he he uses it. He he 
somehow, even though Oliver is broke at this point, somehow constructs a phosphorescent yellow costume, full body, mask and everything, uh, because he knew <laughs> that if he was fucking with the mining company, he's going to tangle with Hal. So it's like, I know your weakness, motherfucker. You can't use your ring on this. And But he gets yeah. unmasked after getting in a brawl with Hal. Yeah, he knows that Hal's... That doesn't isn't gonna buy this shit. Um, he, Here's the kicker. Right. So if you, if you go back to the beginning of all this thing, there's a, initially you have like these uh, these Native Americans getting jacked by a couple of guys from the company. Uh, one of them is the union boss, and the reason that they're attacking them is because he doesn't want to have these guys in his union because he's he's a racist son of a bitch. Right. So even the Indians knowing full well that they're going to lose their 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 lobbying rights. Mm. They're still trying to be pragmatic. Well, at least we can be loggers. Right. You know, at least we can <laughs> and work And they're not right. even allowed that. Right. 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 We they're not allowed that. And and nobody dresses that. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I mean, Hal, bless him, tries to to you know get the, go full mon their their rights back. Uh, and Ali does his. I don't know what he was trying to accomplish because what well, was he going to run him off the land? Yeah, down for, for the- like five minutes until they went and got bigger guns. <laughs> yeah, you know he. That's this is this is one of the first times. In that in the arc where you know Oliver is clearly in the wrong with his hot-headed down with the yeah. man attitude that he takes, um, but you know after Hal and and Oliver get into the brawl and Oliver's unmasked is pretending to be the ghost of this chief, the re- much of the tribe is rightfully horrified, and then he's like you know and Hal busts in the door with the you know United States representative, what's his fuck. And he's like, no, I'm going to do everything in my power. And he's like, look, guys, all I was trying to do was inspire you to take back your land. And everybody's like, yeah, whatever. And none of them. Except for one. And they should have just said, nobody asked you. (laughs) Right. Well, and that's kind of the general attitude, except for one guy. He's like, you know what? You're right. I'm inspired. Let's go kick him off our land. And... But it, that kind of goes nowhere <laughs> because Hal shows up right. is like, no, the United States government's going to set this correct. And Hal ends right. up kind of being the the guy to save the day by using official channels and and his yes. pull with the government because he is a space cop. Which is it's a great story. <laughs> right. Hal, uh, I mean, see how realistic that is. This is probably, of all the ones that are part of the main arc that are actually uh, tackling social issues and whatnot, this is probably the weakest one. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just because the cover is horrible. Like, I can't say that enough. The cover is horrible. Right. I mean, right. I think- even in 1970, right. was redskin really like that term that, that people used in polite conversation? I, I don't know. I honestly now I will if you say were alive in nineteen seventy, let us know. I was, but I was I was two. Right. Um 
Now, to be fair, later on in Snowbirds Don't Fly, one of the characters drops the N-word. Um, he's talking about, they're all, uh, so you have Speedy, who's white. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a gentleman who is Asian, um, a black kid. And then there's a, uh, a another white kid, right? Right. That's like the little gang, the little gang of, of Speedy's friends. And they're all um, junkies together. And the, the Asian kid and the black kid are talking to each other about racism and, and you know, the shit they have to deal with. Why, why do I do heroin? Well, because, you know, life sucks. And they're, they're ex- explaining, and it's legitimate, you know, but the, but the black kid uh, says, well, I get called N-word, and that's just for starters. Right. And it, it's, it's, it's weird. Because um, I don't think in like a DC slash Marvel comic, I don't know if I've ever seen that word. Yeah. In print. No, I. I it's it's weird, it. and it was used. It was used in context, possibly um, in poor taste, but more than likely in poor taste, um, because effectively you had a white guy, Kenny O'Neill, uh, putting the words in a black character's mouth. And I, I gotta say that that that's probably a little problematic. And, and it was two panels, and um, then it was back focusing on the white kid. Yeah, and I get the point. I get the point he's trying to make, right? Because uh, he's ultimately saying that, like you know, for a lot of 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 uh, black kids and Asian kids at the time, um, you know, poor kids. There, there is pressure. There, there's a lot of weird pressures, you know. I'm not going to go into why people do drugs, but you know, it's 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 a legitimate thing to have, you know, racism be the root of why you start doing drugs, you know, escapism from that. I just don't know if like dropping the N word right there right. was, you know, anything beyond shocking to get a point across. You could have gotten the same point across without. Dropping right. the N-bomb, but it is 2020 now, so that's like, holy shit, that's almost 50 years ago. Um, and I don't think people were as um, socially conscious about such things back then. Right, even, was, you know, even hippies. I don't think it was something polite conversation, but right. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so even, even like the this seminal series of comic book them has like some serious, serious like flaws. Right. There was no such thing as a sensitivity reader in during this run. <laughs> right. And, right. And, 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 and you know, I, I, I could, I could only imagine that it probably had, and this is pure speculation that there was probably a conversation about, right. about, doing that and you know the defenses we're trying to like be hard hitting we're trying to you know tell real stories right you right. Know? if i recall correctly snowbirds don't fly was um o'neill and adams and, and schwartz's like answer to amazing spider-man 68 69 where uh yeah it came bullpen, out uh, like two months later yeah the guys in the bullpen said fuck the cca we're gonna tell a real story, and I think Amazing Spider-Man sixty-eight, sixty-nine ended up getting some type of approval from an official, like 
you know, government council on drug abuse or something like that. And DC just right. kind of said, no, fuck all of that. We're just going to tell a story about drug use. Right. Now, and that's the thing is uh, that Amazing Spider-Man story is all, I think it was a three-parter, right? Uh, I think it was. A, it's been a while since I've read that. I think it's just two two issues. I think it was 68 and 69. It could be in 67 okay. through So 69. that, uh, but the, the drug action in, in that, in that storyline was incidental to the main plot of the comic book. So the comic book was basically uh, Spider-Man versus Green Goblin. And you had Harry developing, I don't even, I don't even remember what drug it was. I, I think he was, also I think it was barbiturates, right? He was well, popping well, pills. It was, it was either. I thought he, I think it was popping pills. Oh, may have been. Anyway. So, but that, that was part of the soap opera aspect of amazing spider-man as opposed to the main plot right right right. so so if you think about it in modern terms um that was the end piece on flash where you had the main uh action and everything happening for you know 37 minutes of the 42 minutes and then that was in there to kind of like have continuity uh, between issues because that was the big thing that had marvel work you would have like these it would definitely be villain of the week mm-hmm. but you had this background continuity that was going on that they would like devote a few panels uh comic to right right and it was part of that background continuity as opposed to this where it was the story mm-hmm. <laughs> they weren't fighting villains they come to find speedy as a junkie <laughs> right and that's the story which is pretty goddamn bold. Speaking speaking of covers, you know, the cover of this particular issue is one of the most famous comic covers of all time. Yes. For yeah, those of you keeping track at home, this is more hard traveling heroes. Mm-hmm. Volume two of the ninety three collected edition. Yes. So the cover for this particular one um, actually has Speedy in costume. Um, no, he's not. He's not in costume. He's not in costume. Uh, Lantern and Arrow are. Speedy is sitting at a table with his works out, um, holding his arm um, like he had just... He's like holding his arm in the position where he just shot up. (laughs) Right. And uh, Green Lantern is saying, um, "You you always have all the answers, Green Arrow. Well, what's your answer to that? And uh, Arrow was saying, my ward Speedy is a junkie. Right. And in this particular issue, we get to see a little bit more of that uh, that macho bullheadedness of, of Oliver because he is definitely in the wrong throughout the entire issue. Yeah. Uh, it's weird how wrong he is and how he's supposed to be like the liberal one. Right. <laughs> Whereas Space Cop is the one who's like, let's just take a step back here. Right. Well, and assess the situation. That kind of speaks to Hal's character arc, though. I mean, he's gone through all of this and he started out as, you know, this like hardliner and he started softening up and trying to see things from both sides and listen to his heart and not necessarily like the letter of the law. And we see Hal, right. uh, being the compassionate one. Um, and, and Oliver even admits that, you know, his heart doesn't bleed for junkies. It's like, it's, it's like a line 
in there that he sees. I think that's it. Right, that he sees weakness, uh, sees drug use as some kind of weakness. And he has, like, no sympathy. So, Well, he sees it as, as weakness, I think. And also, you got to remember where he came from prior to, to, uh, to this run. Oliver Queen was rich. Mm-hmm. He was he was basically Green Arrow was basically Batman with arrows for a very long time, um, and nobody read the character anymore because frankly they had Batman. Right. Uh, Batman had a TV show. Green Arrow didn't have a TV show. So I mean, Batman. It would be much much later. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it would. Um, so, I, and I think I think O'Neill handled this transition really well by. Uh, you know, when when you have such a drastic change from that, from like being on top of everything to having being destitute, you definitely have uh, go through some stuff. <laughs> but I think you're gonna have some of the core stuff, some of your core beliefs, his machismo, and I think that is is gonna stay. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the core of his character is really he's like a, he's a man's man, right. Yeah, yeah. He's he's, he's and and it's, un- and it's unfortunate that it, it doesn't. He doesn't really change during this arc. He Oliver kind of stays the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's you know ups and downs, yeah. But he he his character never changes. You know, he's still Oliver Queen. He's still macho. He's still you know hot headed. Whereas Hal Jordan. Uh, goes from being like uh, that steps on your neck to to being a decent human being who um, thinks about what he's doing and wants to be a force of good in right. the world. Right, and I I think that encounter. Well, the 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 cover once again is one of those covers where what's on the cover doesn't actually happen in the issue. Um, Oliver catches Speedy, you know, shooting up and goes off and he's like doing this like tough love kind of shit. And it's like, yo, yo, get the fuck out of my house and all this other, you know, I, you know, I don't buy junkie and shit like right. this. And, and we've all been there. Right. <laughs> and Hal comes through looking for Ollie and Speedy, uh, because up until this point, you know, they didn't suspect anything from, from Speedy. Right. As a matter of fact, they thought Speedy was working a case. Right. That, you know, Speedy at this point is a young adult. He's not really a teenager anymore. He's probably like, what, maybe 18, 19, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely old enough to be out on his own. And, you know, they thought he was just working independently and, and, and doing this case because they've been off, you know, they the three issues they're on the road actually covers, what, about a year? Yeah, they say like six months or something. Yeah. And they go from coast to coast. It's a significant amount of time. Gone to space. Yep. Went um, to space for then, a while. And then when they get back, Oliver starts, um, you know, rekindling his relationship romantically with um, Black Canary. And Hal Jordan um, starts to see um, Carol Ferris again. Um, so really, and, and Speedy hasn't appeared at all in this arc. No, but prior also, to that, he's mentioned one time in that Speedy yeah. found the apartment that Oliver. Lived. Right. 
but um yeah he's uh he he's more or less been abandoned right um and hal comes back looking for oliver and and uh speedy comes back into the house speedy's friends apparently speedy's been living in oliver's apartment because they know right where to go um and the uh chinese american kid finds you know speedy stash and it's like 100% pure heroin the kid cooks up shoots it up and ODs and no that was the uh that that was the the reward right that that they got from the 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 drug dealers oh they must for, have been just uh, getting the drop on needle then cuz yeah so so uh, Oliver Queen gets mugged by these kids right with his own arrow so they have a crossbow that is used to fire his own arrow at him. Right. So he, after he gets patched up, he goes to track them down and sees Speedy there and figures, oh, Speedy's working this case. He's going to bust him because, you know, it's denial. Right. <laughs> Even though the evidence is right in front of him, you're looking a little pale, Speedy. <laughs> but um, he finds out that Speedy is a junkie because, you know, Speedy decides to... to Fix right out in the open. Doesn't go to the bathroom or anything like a right. normal person in the kitchen. Just like in the kitchen with Oliver, like right in the next room, cooking chili or whatever. Right. Yeah, he's so, like, I'm gonna, I'm, yeah, I'm starving. So, I'm gonna cook up some chili, and he goes into the kitchen like, "You're a junkie. You weren't working a case." Right. The other thing is, is that Oliver just out speedy right there in front of all those guys. Speedy is not in costume. He's not in uniform. He is not wearing a mask. Oliver just shows up. It just goes no, no, Roy. Yeah, no, <laughs> Speedy. Like, oh my God, Oliver. Yeah. Worst, worst superhero ever. <laughs> All right, so, so the one, the one thing that I do like about well, it's not the one thing. I actually enjoy this story a lot. It's got a couple issues, but I enjoy this story. Is when uh, Oliver and and uh, Hal decide to actually do detective work, right, and figure out what's going on, um, the the kingpin of this whole operation is a fucking CEO of a pharmaceutical company, right, who's manufacturing this and selling it, right, like overseas. Yeah, so I'm sorry. That was in 1970. What what just happened like last year? How many CEOs of pharmaceutical companies went down because they were bribing doctors to prescribe their junk right. to patients? Anyway, it's a little prophecy. But heroin doesn't just happen. You know, that that guy looking shady on the corner selling the bags, he's not bringing it into the, to the right to the ghetto, right? Right. And they're trying to make this point, and I think they do it really well. Some, some rich white guy is making money off of all of this misery, and nobody thinks about that. Even today, when you're thinking about who's actually going to prison for drug violations, it rarely is the cool CEO of the Jet Set Pharmaceutical Company. No, because he can afford the lawyer. Yeah. You know... It's the street level people, mm -hmm. and and I think that uh, you know after they decide to beat the shit out of these kids, right? 
and uh, and punch their way up, so to speak. They actually do make a really good point um, that it's greed. It's pure greed that is bringing the shit into the country, mm-hmm. and that's all it is. It's greed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, kids, you know, these kids in the story, countless people are, are the victims of this greed. And I'm not going to say that they don't play a part of that. Um, yes, you choose to do what you choose to do to a certain extent. Right. But, but uh, it's a lot harder to make the right choice, so to speak, um, if your circumstances are not uh, uh, good enough for you to be able to make that choice. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and I hate to say it, but it really is like, it sucks. Right. And. You know, it's it, they they track the guy down. You know, they 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 track the CEO down, and I think this is probably one of the appeals of the book because we said it a couple of times that it's real satisfying when these people that don't usually get their just desserts in yes, does have my favorite line in the whole thing is is in is in this particular end fight where. Uh, Green Lantern takes off his ring. He's just yeah. gonna on the guy, and the guy is like, <laughs> the guy is just like, you asked for this fool. I happen to be. And he's just like, I know, I know. You happen to be intercollegiate boxing champ. I've heard that line a million times on the Late Show, and just chucks him into lab equipment. <laughs> right. Great. Because <laughs> it's true. How many times have you have you seen that? Well, I'm. I just happen to box. Golden gloves for the Navy. Last job. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, and, and the whole thing where he takes the ring off and tosses. He's like, here, hold this. Oh, my ring. <laughs> hold my I'm ring. I'm going to fuck this guy up. And he's like, he throws him into the lab equipment. And Oliver, you know, is like, dude, I think this guy's really hurt. We should take him to the hospital. And Hal's like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> now, eventually, Speedy does uh, recover. Right. He cold turkeys and tough, and and Oliver Queens his way through. Yeah, I don't think it takes as long in comic book time that it would have um, in real life. Right. I think he's done, and he's he's kicked the habit in sixteen hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a li- it's a little ridiculous, but uh, yeah, he does it. Uh, he socks Oliver in the jaw. Says so that's that's sharing some pain. That's what I, you know, and and that is the kind of the moment where Oliver kind of gets his comeuppance, and it begins a, a shift in his character arc. Uh, because after that, you know, he he realizes that you know he this what Speedy accomplished is like makes him proud, and Oliver starts crying. And yes. And, but it's it's macho tears, right? It's macho tears. It's like look how tough my boy is. You yes, know, I'm so now, proud of him. But but it starts him thinking, which brings us to the final issue of the arc because this series was canceled uh, leading up to this, issue. and we yes. have kind of bookends going on here for for this. We have instead of Oliver and Hal teaming up, it's two shorter stories featuring each of them. Uh, the first half of the book is uh, the introduction of John Stewart as Green Lantern because Guy Gardner gets hurt. 
and he's going to be bedridden for six months. Yeah, there's only one thing I have to say about that that particular story, and it is, oof, I much prefer the current <laughs> the, the current version of John Stewart yeah. and um, than token black John Stewart. Right. It's like somebody watched uh, a Jim Kelly movie or any black exploitation film and decided that's yeah. good character. Yes. So yeah, oof, oof. but it did give us John Stewart, and John Stewart is fantastic. Mm. Now, he's actually a fan favorite Green Lantern as opposed to the other guys. Yes. Um, now, I am going to say that you missed a couple of things. Well, of course, I did. Um, so, uh, is this more? Yeah. So there is actually a story in the collected edition of more hard traveling heroes that comes out of the back end of Flash, uh, because at this point, the series was canceled. Right. Uh, Green Lantern eventually gets picked up again and continues with the numbering, but there's no Green Arrow anymore. Uh, but in the back of Flash, I think they finished this arc, um, uh, Flash 217 through 219, where you get um, Oliver, you get bald Oliver who kills somebody by accident and joins a and uh, joins a monastery, mm-hmm. but that that isn't in the um, that particular arc on DC. No, on the DC universe thing. Right, right. Uh, this one ends with uh, Oliver going out. Uh, he's he's at home. He gets a phone call, and it's the you know party chairman and the mayor asking him to run for mayor. Yes. And he goes off to think and, and he suits up and he ends up in a riot um, where a, a young African-American boy gets killed and yeah. dies in his arms. And he decides, you know, after. But, you know, he goes through this whole thing um, where he, he calls like the most important people in it. Well, the most important people in his life and two other people. Right. He calls Dinah and and asks her what she thinks. And, you know, nobody is supportive to Oliver doing that. He calls Bruce Wayne, and Bruce Wayne, you know, is sitting there in his full Doc Savage, like, flannel shirt and denim booty shorts. And booty shorts. (laughs) By his pool. And... And it's like this this particular Bruce Wayne, he's a he's a bit of a prick. Um and he's like, Oh, well that'd be harder than just you can't be two bearded men trying to save the city. Well th- now this was Bruce Wayne, Denny O'Neill's Bruce Wayne, who had moved away from Maine Main Winner. Wayne Manor was currently living um in the penthouse apartment in Gotham City. This was right. like super playboy cool Bruce Wayne. Right. And he also calls Clark Kent, who you would think Clark Kent would be the most supportive of the decision. And he's like, uh, you know, you can't have, you can't do it, man. You can't be Green Arrow. You got to protect the people you love. Right. You know, you can't, you can't do this. So, so all the superheroes that he knows, Hal is not supportive of it. You know, they, they, it's like everybody he knows thinks he does more good on the streets as Green Arrow. But Green Arrow just, just, he's not. He's not cool with it because he doesn't think he's he's having a crisis of faith, and it's and then at the end after the riot after the the child dies in the hospital, um, 
he decides, no, I am not going to uh, be Green Arrow anymore. I'm going to run for mayor. I'm going to try to make a difference. And it's kind of an interesting bookend to the 11-issue arc. you know. And, of course, O'Neill and Adams were going to follow through on the whole Ollie runs for mayor thing as part of Green Lantern, Green Arrow, but the series got canceled. And right. somebody, I forget who, who picked it up later, Oh, um, I want, I want to say Baker, but I'm probably wrong. Excuse me while I whip this out. Uh, so issue 90 is Denny O'Neill's continuing to write it. And then Mark Grell is doing the, the rest of it. Right. Uh, but I don't think that lasted very long. Right, I I don't think they uh, did picked up the whole mayor of Star City thing until the ninety. Yeah, so it even gets to issue ninety one, um, which is Green Lantern, Green Arrow versus Sinestro, but that's still Mark Grell. Um, Mark Grell. Um, they bounce through. Okay, so up until one sixty. Oh no, that's out of. Why is this all shit out of sequence? Oh, they must have skipped a bunch of them. Anyway. Um, eventually, you get like Len Wine doing it for a while. That's the next big um, writer is Len Wine, and he picks it up in one seventy two. Anyway, you get you get Denny O'Neill continuing on, but it's really it's not the same. But yeah, that that those what is it eleven issues? Yep, eleven issues. That's what matters. <laughs> right. Right, that's what matters. That's um, um, but really the the whole snowbirds don't fly. That was the turning point for Green Arrow's arc, and then then it gets. Yeah, to be honest with you, I, it continues on as Green Lantern, Green Arrow, but I don't know it. Yeah, I mean they're like on an alien planet. Yeah, fighting the, the mayor arc. I mean, was dropped for years. Yeah, fighting aliens. I didn't bother reading it at the main part, but it's a, they're fighting aliens doing, palling around with Owens. It turned into a comic book again. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, because as as you are so fond of saying, this this era was particularly known for it. Your catchphrase. Oh, uh, continuity is for suckers. Right. So it's like, I think 20, 30 years later is when they picked up that whole, I'm going to run for mayor arc. Uh, yeah, and I think that was your boy did that too. Was that Smith? I think it was Kevin Smith's run. It was after he died and came back. Right. The the what was that Quiver? Yeah, but it was it was like that era. Mm -hmm. I don't think Quiver was when he did it, but I think it was like one of the post Quiver um, runs mm -hmm. from where they decided to, to have him run for mayor. And he won. Yeah. And he was mayor for a short period of time, and then. Then he's back to green, being Green Arrow, and then the yeah, well, how, DC how, Universe how, probably got rebooted. I mean, you probably have to ask, I think this is post one of the reboots, but you'd have to ask, like, exciting uh, mirrors that you know how exciting a mirror comic book would be. Right. Well, especially when your mayor is Robin Hood, essentially. You know, right. It's like, well, didn't uh, Bruce Wayne during that period of time also become like a state representative or something? Something like that. I think I might have been later in the 70s. Right. <laughs> Empty nest syndrome between yeah. wards. <laughs> it was when he was between Robins. 
So there you have it, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Hard traveling heroes. Uh, Eleven issue run. Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams. Uh, a lot of flaws. There's, there's like warts and all on this in this book, but yeah. I think uh, I think it's still worth worth the read. Uh, it's one of the, it's a classic run. It's the reinvention of both Green Lantern and Green Arrow. Uh, yeah, you know. and I think you can make the argument that saying this is like kind of what rebooted comics in the seventies, and this is what ushered into you into what the modern age of comics. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you one final question before we sign off. Okay. Do you think the idea of hard traveling heroes could work today? Um, you know, with say a series. I think that if they did this today, that half of the internet would have angina. I think you would have every fucking fedora wearing fanboy freaking out uh, about keeping your damn politics out of my comics. Right. And how much does do your volumes of uh, hard traveling heroes weigh when you pick them up? I don't know. Maybe half a pound, maybe half a pound. Um, you know, honestly, when I hear it's some Pandora, they're too valuable for me to shove them up some random. Oh no, I wasn't going to tell say that. <laughs> but you know, when when I hear some fucking trilby wearing motherfucker talk about not having politics in your comic books, you know, I, I want to grab those that that edition and just slap them across the face with it because I mean, this is this is. You know, it's just like 1930s Superman who was punching slumlords. You know, this is this is definitely politics in your comic books. Yeah, yeah. This this isn't Batman defending his rich friends, right? This from, is, uh, from like mobsters, right? Right. This is this is space cop and Robin Hood going well, on, a, you know, trying to find the heart of America. Well, this is a legitimate attempt to tackle current events uh, with using the medium of comic books it, it, and you know everything that that was spawned from this um, from from Watchmen to to Dark Knight Returns right to mm-hmm. to the later later X-Men runs you know mm-hmm. where, where anytime you have have something that tries to make a political statement in comics um, I'm not saying that without this you wouldn't have that because somebody else probably would have done it. I'm saying that th- these guys did it, and they were, you know, in in living memory, the first to do it. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Superman did punch slum lords and was the defender of the downtrodden. But have you read in some 1930s? Have you read some of those stories? Right. Yeah. That. And in in some ways, in some ways, O'Neill was kind of bringing DC characters back to that period, but kind of updating them with a little more modern sensibility. Yeah, most definitely. I think that without Danny O'Neill making stories like this, across the board, not only Green Lantern, Green Arrow, but Batman stories, Mm. Superman stories, The Question. Um, Wonder Woman, he's he's responsible for uh, mod Wonder Woman. Yes. I don't know if he really, he really would have wanted to have taken credit for that, but <laughs> but um, 
I think DC probably would have folded. Batman most certainly would have been canceled. Yeah, um, Batman. Batman was actually canceled following the cancellation of the Adam West series, or was on the chopping uh, block. Yeah, it was on the chopping block again, um, and he 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 ch- changed Batman for the better. My, my favorite Batman outside of uh, the animated series is you know Danny Neal's work on Batman. Speaking of which, that will be what the topic of next week's discussion is, is Denny O'Neill and Batman. Until next time. Keep 30 luck points. And we'll see you later. Later.